Christo. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> let me do that one more time. My name is Christo, and I'm a, sorry. My name is Christo, and I was just on the Ryan Holtz podcast. Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Ryan Holtz Show podcast. Listen, if you love the Ryan Holtz Show podcast, you love yourself because this show is all about you. I have one of the most amazing, epic guests on. If you are in the creative space, the media space, the online space, you know, I like to call him pocket full of dough. His name is Chris Doe, founder of the future, 2 million subs on YouTube, but just an all around cool dude. Love the style. Chris, man, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. If you're in outer space, you should love this show. And like, let's cover all the spaces. <laughs> exactly. Listen, man, I I, I reached out. I, I've, I've literally followed your guys' content and, and work, you know, for, for a long time. And you know, you know your comments, but the one thing I really love about what you've done at the future and the channel is everything that you put out is really action based, like not just saying, here's what to do, here's how to do it. So I have a lot of respect for that. I want to kick off with my first question. And I know it's, you know, you talked about it so much, but man, it comes up in my world all the time. Niche or not to niche. Uh, you've talked about it with uh, Marty Newmeyer. You've talked about you've talked about the subject so much. But I'm telling you, I literally get messages of people saying, yeah. "Hey Ryan, I want to niche down." And then literally in the same inbox, Ryan, I'm working years to get out of my niche because I can't stand it anymore. So wow. how do we? What what do we? And and yeah, I know like that. That's kind of the basis of the question. Is I I really want to kind of unpack this with you and kind of go from the not even so much maybe the the monetary side of it but the soulful side the you know what if i do like doing two or three things chris what if i what if i'm not content feeling just like i want to do one thing what would you say to us okay this is a very good question so let's talk about it on a philosophical point of view please i think in the beginning of all of our lives and careers it's important for us to remain curious open-minded and explore lots of things you might not love tennis, you might love golf or basketball, or you might not love sports at all. So in the beginning, I think it's it's kind of very divergent. We explore lots of different things and it's good for our creative soul. We're generalists. And then eventually at some point, I think we need to settle down and start to hone in on one thing that we really love and can do really well. And so this is the convergent model where you take and you eliminate things and you start to go deep. It's like going a mile deep and an inch wide. I think you gain a lot of confidence, you grow your expertise, you become known for it, you command a price premium. But then probably what you're talking about in your inbox question, which is, I'm kind of tired of this now. I feel like I've been pigeonholed mm. and as much as I used to love it, I don't love it anymore. And mm. there's a new problem. And so this is evolution. And so now what we do is we, be, we begin to diverge again. But mm. now you have this core foundation that people know you for, you have this confidence that you could do something and you start to expand and stack compounding skill sets. This is really important. So let me explain this in real world context and, and kind of give people uh, just not a theoretical explanation here. When I first started out, I studied graphic design. I was mm. grooming myself to work in the entertainment industry, designing uh, music, entertainment packaging, posters, booklets, uh, working on editorial spreads. But then I found this thing called motion design at the very last semester in school. And mm. this really changed the whole trajectory of my, my life and my career. But when I started out with my company, I offered web design service services. I would design logos. I did motion graphics things, animation. I was okay at lots of things, but not really great at any one thing. And it became mm. really difficult because all projects felt like brand new projects. And I, 
I couldn't develop systems and processes to be able to streamline mm. anything. That was a real mm. struggle. I made the decision to go into motion graphics, and that's what carried me for the next 20 plus years. I, I wound up directing and doing production and post-production for commercials and music videos. Mm. But then now I'm feeling like, is this all that my life was meant to be? Now we're talking about 20 years into a career, which I think, you know, it's two decades. That's a long time to be in something. I started to expand out, started doing brand strategy, started mm. working with clients directly, started writing copy and learning this whole very complicated system and, and strategy for creating brands from the ground up. But then my happy place was taking all of these diverse experiences and then finding a way to stack them and in a way that adds value, which is to teach everything I know. So I use the skills that I learned in, in graphic design, my know-how in production and making commercials and shooting videos, my business acumen for running something for over 20 years, and then also mm. taking in brand strategy. I put them all into one, and this is how I am the person I am today. Mm, I, I, love, I love that. You know, I do. It's, I want to go on the psych, psychological but Chris, you know, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah. But, but Chris, I, I'm, I'm a greedy pig. And I feel that when I go and only choose motion graphics, I might be losing all these other things out on the table. Is that something where we got to, you know, look inside ourselves and say, look, we got to be more self-aware and figure out what we want. Or is this something where it's, yo, you need to get a little more seasoned and experienced or, yo, just stop with the insanity and get clear on what you want. You, you get what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. I've heard this argument before. Most people say, if I narrow myself down into and focus in on something, then I'm going to lose out on all these other opportunities. And this is some form of self-delusion. It's <laughs> what you're doing, what you're doing here. And, and anybody who says this, ask yourself, am I getting a lot of work? Am I well-fed? Is my pipeline full? Are people paying me a premium for what it is that I'm doing? What you're doing is you're saying, I not only compete with this type of person, I compete with all types of people. And then therefore people have clients have lots of choices. And they're most of the time when they have real money to spend and a real problem to solve, they're going to hire the best person that's got the deepest experience in doing that. The scariest thing to hear from a doctor is like, huh, I've never seen that before. You're going to run out the door if you hear that. Right? This was told to me by someone else, so it's not my, my original thought. And think about it. If I have a real problem, I want someone who knows what they're doing, has the experience in doing this. I'll give you a little example, real-world example here. Uh, I had some electrical work done in my house, my very first house that I bought. And one of my producers said, hey, hire this guy. He's a young guy. I know him. He's going to work real hard. I'm like, great. The guy comes over. He's got a brand-new DeWalt drill, drill bit. And he's drilling in the walls, trying to run cabling from upstairs to downstairs kind of thing. He's spending hours doing this and, and he's frustrated. I'm like, uh, are we any closer? He goes, I can't figure out why I can't find the cable. Mm. So I'm like, all right. He goes, well, I'm not going to bill you. I'm going to go figure this thing out. I'm going to take this drill back. And I was like, you better not bill me. You've accomplished nothing. You've put holes in the wall. I should bill you, right? So here's the thing. I yeah. hired a professional electrician who had been doing it for years, maybe decades at that point, he goes, oh, he mismeasured. The top hole is inches apart from the bottom hole that a stud separates him. So he's fishing his line in there trying to find wow. it. He could never find it. So this is a rookie mistake. He did not measure correctly. And he was on the wrong side of the two by four stud in the wall. And so this is what you do when you say like, oh, I can market myself to lots of different people. You're trying mm. to say, I'm not very good at lots of things. Please hire me. 
And what happens to those types of people is they get really low level jobs and jobs when there are unrealistic mm. demands put on them for a budget that's way too small. So I think it's a form of self-delusion. I, I, I love that. I, I, I really do. What do you think with everything? You look at the internet now and it's, um, you know, you got doctors, dentists, lawyers, anesthetists, brain surgeons, and they're coming out of school, you know, says, Hey, Ryan, I've been in university, man, for like 15 years, including everything. Like I've donated, you know, so much time to my craft, but dentists now, even though they went to school for dentistry are coming out, starting a practice and saying, Whoa, whoa, wait a sec. I got to actually get patients to walk through my door. And how do I get patients to walk through my door? Well, wait a sec. I, I might have to invest in some branding or some content or, you know, get in front of the camera and show the expertise on why I'm the most awesome dentist. What would you say to people who are going to school for one thing, but they don't realize that ultimately when they come out and want to open up their own practice, they're essentially going to be starting a media company that's going to align with that. Would you agree with that statement or, or what would be your thoughts on that? Okay, I, I think I lost you for a second because my internet's been a little wanky today. Oh, sure, sure, that's okay. Question. Are we still good? Yeah, we're good. I, I hear you fine and okay. clear. Perfect, perfect. Okay, awesome then. Okay, so uh, so here's the thing with all businesses. No business exists without customers and clients. And so when you're starting out and you, it, let's just say a traditional business like a dentist dentist wants to, to do business, the way that I've seen this happen is you you work for someone else for a period of time. You, you understand the game, what, how they set up their practice, and you're taking lots mm -hmm. of notes. And eventually what you typically do is you buy the dentistry from someone who's retiring. So you buy their book of business, right? And so yeah. they're not starting from the ground up. And it would be, I think, very difficult for a dentist to go into a strip mall somewhere, set up a practice, and have zero customers. They're going to have, like, uh, walk-ons, which isn't necessarily well-positioned or anything. And you've now made a huge investment in equipment and, and building out a space and you're committed to a three to five year lease on a, on a space. That is a scary place to be. Um, but in most businesses where you don't have such upfront uh, high overhead costs of starting the business, I would start with learning how to market yourself, how to build a brand and how to be able to create an irresistible offer so that you can get customers. The thing that I recommend to most people is if you have a source of income today, don't just start off by doing a business and quitting and just leaving that because you're going to create tremendous financial pressure on yourself to do well. And so the, the best, safest way to do this is to, to save up money to have some runway. I would recommend between three to six months. That should be good enough to build up some expertise to maybe even potentially do work at low, low prices so that you can get some experience and you have something to show for, for yourself and that you can prove there's a market for what you do and there's a good product market fit. And eventually that will start to grow and scale. And as your confidence grows, you can start charging more. And ultimately you're going to shut down your previous way of making money, whether that's working for someone else, working full time, whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to phase out of that and you're going to ramp right into your business so that there's a nice runway for you to then launch your new business. People that are listening to this show, it's it's public knowledge. I, I've said this. Uh, my interview style has changed based on uh, people's attention span. So when I think of shorts and reels and TikToks, yeah. I think about when I have amazing guests like you, Chris, and I think, my goodness, how, uh, you know, how, how am I going to title this? How can we chop this up? But I'm always thinking of the person listening to the show thinking, what's the most amount of value can they get? I want to bring up the fact that you're a self-confessed uh, introvert. 
and you know really working in the, the graphics and all these things how did this self-professed introvert say okay i'm gonna go from behind and become the host of the party instead of just attending the party and this is what you've done with fu the future you've You've you got your own team that's substantiating what you guys think, you know, is best practices for X. Then you're bringing on guests that are extremely, you know, they're like surgeons in what they do, substantiating the message. And then there's Chris that's literally you're at the helm and you're hosting all of this. You truly are the host of the party. How the heck did you go from introvert to hosting the party? It is a difficult journey, I have to tell you. I, <laughs> I know. Imagine if we were in high school together, we probably would not talk because you're so full of energy and somebody like you would scare somebody like me. And, <laughs> right? I mean, I could no, just tell. Okay, okay, but Chris, I'm going yeah. to push back on that because okay. here's the thing. I'm very big on EQ. So back in high school, you know, football, I was the football dude. There I was, of course, very, you know, um, out there. But here's the kicker. Uh, I'm actually quite introverted on the inside. So I would walk down the hallways and people like, Hey Ryan, how's it going? You know, blah, blah. I love solace. I love the quietness. So I would find myself gravitating to people that were maybe sitting in a corner by a oh. locker. And okay. so I've, I've kind of always had these two gears in my life where people are just like, well, you're always the life of the party. No, when I choose to be. Yeah. And then there's times when I want to get, very, very quiet. I'm a dad. I have a, I have a six-year-old son and a three-year-old um, daughter. And so mm -hmm. I say to myself, I have two gears in life. One is family. That's everything for me. And then the other is business. And if there's anything left over, I just want to sit in a corner by myself and be quiet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about this. Where, where did you grow up? What city? So I, I grew up in a place called Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And now I'm it. in the wet. Oh, I really? I really? Well, okay, hold well, on, hold on. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll, I'll let you unpack this. I yeah. like this. All right. I'm not saying I knew what city you were in, but I knew you were Canadian. I could just tell, okay? Yes. There's a different vibe and energy. And so I take you for your word that you would have found somebody like me, the wallflower, and just walked over and like, hey, you, you mind if I sit next to you? And then we can have like a more chill conversation to connect. But there's several things that are in your story that I was like, first of all, I would attend none of the football games because I'm not a sports person, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And if, you, if you're a captain high energy, that would send me running the opposite direction. And I would probably be, you know, I grew up in America, so it's a little bit different. Uh, the jocks and the nerds or the the quiets and the louds don't stand anywhere near each other. Like we're targets mm. for for you to like pick on. And it's just not a great thing, right? And I just like my little quiet space. I don't want to be alone. I just want to be clear about that, Ryan. Like mm -hmm. nobody wants to be alone because if it's horribly depressing to say like no one cares mm -hmm. about me and I'm going to go through this life, my entire existence as a solo operator. I don't want mm -hmm. that. But okay, we've established that, you know, you are at the different end of the high school spectrum where I was on the other side and that's totally okay. But what I started to realize later on in my adult life is that years of being invisible and quiet and keeping my mouth shut, being scared to speak, actually gave me a lot of time to find out who I was. Mm. So I learned a lot about my thoughts mm. and, and I was very observant and a really good listener. And I think in high school, uh, being a good listener is not a skill set. It's probably a detriment. It's a liability. Mm. Because in school, at least here in America, you're rewarded for having answers. So oftentimes when the teacher would ask a question, I would never raise my hand. I knew the answer. I'm just sitting there like, I'm not going to say anything. And then the ones who were like, hey, uh, Mr. Johnson, Miss Smith, 
I know the answer. And then they would get, you know, at least credit or prominence and, and favoritism. And that's all natural. I totally get that. But a quiet person like myself, I'm just going to hold an answer. I don't want the attention at all. Mm. So here's the thing. When you launch into business, being the quietest person is actually a detriment to your business once again, right? Mm. So here we're like, okay, my, my, my business coach would say, you know, I think you're working really hard at being the best kept secret in the industry. Mm. And, and you realize what this is doing to your business, right? So he just talked to me, spoke to me like a business person to business person. Here's the price of doing this. Mm. Is this something you want to do? And it started to make me realize, okay, I need to get out there. And he helped me learn how to speak to clients. Like if, it, if I wasn't working on a project, which is oftentimes the case because I have great creative directors who run projects, I had to learn how to have just small talk with people, to walk into a room and say, hey, how's the project going? Are we doing a good job? Is there anything else that we should be doing? Because I really appreciate your business. And those small little gestures mean a lot to the client. And my, yes. my business coach taught me that. Let's take it up another level. My, my former uh, friend or classmate from Art Center, he's the opposite of me. He's more like you than he is like me. He says, Chris, let's start a YouTube channel together. I'm like, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I'll run the camera. I'll do the lighting. I'll direct you. I know how to do that. He goes, no, no, I don't do this unless you're here with me. And mm. this is the part that's really significant here. He made me an offer I could not refuse, which was sit next to me. You don't have to say anything. I'll carry the show. I'll do whatever it is. I'll introduce you. I'll introduce the topics. Only speak when you're comfortable enough to. And I wish mm. because I wish everybody had a person like this in their life. They're Jose and Jose did this for me so that they can feel comfortable enough so that three, four episodes in that I can actually introduce myself. Mm. And mm. by doing so, I start to learn that, my gosh, I have something to contribute. I have things mm. to say. I know things I can ask complex questions or I can explain things simply. And, and all of a sudden I start to get my, my bearings and that, 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 that reluctant decision to go on a YouTube channel with Jose changed my life. Mm. And this is why like now I can sit there and have these conversations. I can host, I'm still working on it every single day, right? Every single day. I, I go mm. to events and parties that I don't know anybody. And I just stand there like the weirdest person and I just wait. I wait until there's an opening or for someone to walk up to me and say, like, do I know you from somewhere? And mm. that's how the game begins. But I'll sit there in 10 minutes of awkwardness, holding a drink in my hand, talking to no one, looking around the room to see if anybody is alone that I can then begin a conversation with. I like, I really like that. I think that um, I am very, I've always been very fascinated you talk about tools, DeWalt, if we're using a, the real world experience, or we can go into the graphics where you're, whether you're using yeah. Adobe Premiere Pro or Final Cut Pro X. I mean, these are the tools. I've always been obsessed about the person that's using the tools because for me, a tool is just a tool. And so I've always kind of lived by one thing. I always say a starving artist is, isn't starving because their art sucks. It's because nobody ever knew about it. And this is where the marketing and branding kind of comes into it and kind of that front facing voice. I've watched a lot of your interviews and you interviewing people being interviewed, et cetera, et cetera. But I always just wonder like, who's this guy that's using the tools? What is the motivation, you know, behind what you're doing? And I, yes, I get it. You know, a mission to help 1 billion people do what they love, you know, and that's, and that's the whole premise of your YouTube channel, but you're so humble, which, you know, I think you should be, I mean, we're, we should be all be humble as a human being, but what is the character that really drives that out in you where you're, you, you, cause you were brave enough to say, 
I'm an introvert, but I'm willing, as per Jose, you know, with the help of Jose, to at least sit in the chair and see how it goes. We, yeah. you and me can sit here right now and you will agree with me. There's not, there's, there's so many people out there still to this day, Chris, they're not willing to go sit in that chair even just to see how it goes. So what would you say to those people just maybe a little fearful or not brave enough just to at least take the step to the chair? I've lived by this uh, general guiding principle in my life. The things that scare me, I should move towards, not run away from. <laughs> and it's what my business coach told me. It's like there are two types of people in the world, the people who run from change and the people who run towards change. Mm. And and almost always when something scares me, I'm not talking about walking to a pit of vipers. That's a totally different story. Or having scorpions <laughs> dropped on my head. Yeah, that scares yeah. me and I should be scared, right? I'm talking about... The, the the mental games that you play with yourself and say, I shouldn't ask for this thing that I want or uh, I, I, I shouldn't say this price, whatever it is. Mm. Those things scare you. I think it's a sign saying this is an opportunity for growth and let's do this. Now, mm. it's not to say that everybody who wants to be can be a great host or a, 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 can run a podcast because it's not for everybody. You have to have a certain set of skills as the, as uh, Liam Neeson would say I have a particular set of skills right <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying that but editor I, I think, insert insert that video clip now <laughs> right yeah 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 that's how my you. mind that's how my mind works I can't help it that's that's kind of the fun of like creativity though you know you talk and I'm like I'm thinking about like the the you know command b to cut or something it's it's odd you know it we're weird people yeah. sometimes anyway sorry to interject yeah so mm. I I think it's worth trying Mm. Uh, whether you're, and I, I think this is important. This is one of the three skills in the 21st century that you must have if you want to thrive and not just survive, which is your ability to articulate your ideas to others. You have to become a powerful communicator. And for some people, it's just sitting on a keyboard and writing. And mm. that's your your jam. For some yep. people, like maybe like yourself, with, with if you're dyslexic or you have ADHD, being a host and running a podcast and having this energy could be your jam. For some, mm. some other people, it's a combination of both video and audio or you start with a script. Who knows? But we have to learn to be able to communicate our ideas to others because attention, as my friend Alex has said, is the new oil. Those that can command mm. it can actually leverage it to make tons of money or at least Ooh. start powerful movements. And this is very, very important, right? So for me, I, I didn't realize this. I thought, and I told my wife a while ago, that I thought my hands were the things that you need to ensure. Because without mm. my hands, how do I make things? But now mm. I'm like, you have to ensure this. And she's like, what are you to do? What are you doing? My lips. I need Ooh. to be able to speak because this Ooh. is where my power is now. Being able to listen and to being able to articulate and summarize things. And here's the last reason why you might want to, to kind of move into that pocket of discomfort, which is, you know, podcasts are a way of you getting one-on-one -on -one mentorship from someone for free. Yes. Yes. That's it. <laughs> Of course, of course. Well, and that's where I said for you, you became the host of the party, you know, and it's, you know, we've had really great notable guests on too. And I mean, if I call, you know, send them a message saying, I don't know, let's just spend some time for free together. They'd probably give me the middle fingers, right? Like, anyway. you know, how, how much is that half an hour, hour cost on, on their consulting fee, right? We know. Right. Um, and yet you're right. It's, I think every time you step on the mic though, um, and for me, you know, I, I, I did some media stuff and whatnot, but I mean, I basically came and bootstrap my whole thing from the start when it came to the podcast and I just learned how to interview one clunky interview at a time. Yep. And what I 
always would feel is when that camera would go on is that hair on the back of my neck. But it was mm-hmm. also a feeling of, oh, Ryan, you're growing. Oh, this is a good thing. Because the moment I felt that sweat or that hair, I just know I'm in this discomfort. But I also know what happens after that. There's a little bit of growth and momentum that comes from it, right? So I agree with I agree with what you're saying. Um, we have this internet. We have social media. You talk a lot about how people can do X, maybe what they should consider to do, how they can do it. What are what shouldn't we be doing right now, in your opinion? And I know it's a very general because I'm saying social media, YouTube, yeah. all of it. But is there anything that you has been on your radar? Maybe a couple nuggets where you're just thinking, well, we shouldn't be doing that. Okay, it's a big, broad question. I'll, it's a, I'll try to answer it. Yeah, yeah. So I want to keep I, it broad for for a reason, okay. just to see where okay. your your mind is at with that. I'll follow your lead on this. <laughs> um, I I think what we shouldn't do when we when we're creating content or showing up on social media is to want what what most people want, which is to to have a viral hit. And I'll tell you why. Ooh. Okay, most people want to create something and have it to go viral. Here's the problem with this, it, especially if you're in the beginning of your content creation journey. If you create something that gets a lot of attention, you still haven't yet figured out your voice, how you want to show up in the world. And so now you have this this benchmark of what is possible. And anything that you do that's not that, that doesn't get any real love, sends you into the spiral of depression, uh, questions of self-worth uh, and self-esteem. And these are not good things. And then you wind up doing more of what's working. And then you realize, that's not who I am. That's not what I want. And so you become trapped in your own success. And and then you you hate making this thing because it's the only thing that gets you any real traction. And so I try to encourage people that are new in their content creation journey, don't wish for this thing. And it, it might ruin you, this viral hit, because then you you won't be able to explore who you are. Instead, wish for anonymity for a while. So create content so that you can get the feel for it, so you can find the rhythm, you can find your tone of voice and what it is that you want to speak about, and then start to learn how to play the game of social so that more and more people can hear your message. And I think it's much better to fail in the darkness than it is to succeed (laughs) in this way, because now Mm. you become trapped in your own success. Mm. I I, I love that. I I think that I, I, I love that. You were, you were talking to Sean Cannell, rhymes yes. with YouTube channel, because <laughs> he always says that. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he did his um, growth video conference there. Uh, he was bringing up Gary Vee and the speaker fee and stuff like that. And it was kind of interesting because you, you, you pushed back, but it was like a, a nice way where you said, you know, with Gary Vee specifically, I'm not really talking about him per se, but I'm people who are new to online or creating content or coming out in the world, you know, we're seeing all these different characters start to flash on our phones and give all, all this advice. And then we then have to take all this advice and say, what's legitimate advice? What is a, a hype person and motivation? But when we really unpack it, there's not really much there. Yeah. And then there's other people who maybe don't have that hype and, and marketing prowess, but they actually got some gold nuggets in their message that if people do follow, will probably be pretty successful. What are some kind of, let's call it like three, three red flags to just help us determine where we should consume some of our content from? Is there a couple of red flags that you think people could really pick up on quick? Yeah. Red flag number one is how quickly do you learn something and then, ha- then you're sold to. 
so if you're if you're they're sharing a piece of information and they're pitching to you right away, that to me is a red flag. Because mm. this is some part of like a complex marketing scheme, sales funnel for, mm. uh, for this other person. I'm not saying they're all bad, but that, that's a red flag for me. Because mm. you haven't earned my trust yet and you're already selling me. Like get to know me first. You know, buy me a drink. Take me out to dinner. Yes. Don't try to close on me so fast. That's red yes. flag number one. Number two, red flag number two, which was probably like supersedes red flag number one is what did they do before they did this thing? Ooh. before they became Ooh. known for being known, what did they do? And there are a lot of famous people for being famous. And they're like, what did they do? And so the classic example is the person who's selling you the seminar to sell real estate. Were they <laughs> successful in real estate? So this creates some kind of schism in my brain because, you know, I, I get to look at and study successful people. Successful people, their time is worth so much money and their money makes money. And the last thing they'll do is sell their time for money because it doesn't make as much money. And so these are part of the whole, I, I think I, I, it's a broad mm. brushstroke, part of the Ponzi scheme thing where mm. I didn't really, I'm not really successful and I'm going to be successful because I'm going to tell you how to be successful without being successful first. Mm. I think there's a lot of credibility for, for people who are just quietly grinding it out for 10, 20, 15, 30 years, whatever it is. And then they go back and they say, you know, here's what I've learned in the last 20 years. And I think I could save you from some of the pain that I went through and learn from me versus repeating the same mistakes again. Those people have a lot of credibility. I'll point to Alex Hermosi as one of the examples where, A, he's not trying to sell you anything. If anything, he's trying to sell you is, I want to give you money to grow your business. I think that's a pretty wonderful sales pitch. Number two is he's had, he's got the track record. He's been able to do this himself. And you can see pretty clearly how he's done. He talks about it in very open, transparent ways. Number mm -hmm. three is people who are reluctant to talk openly about their numbers. I, I don't trust either. Like if you're teaching me business skills and you're not going to talk about your business and you're closed off with what you're spending, how much money you made, where you lost money, then I don't trust you. So those are the three things. I love that. Ooh, those are, ooh. Have you been asked that question a lot that you, you fired those off so succinct? That's a great, those, those red flags are huge. Do people ask you that a lot in general? Actually, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. The you, you well, you've been thinking about it because the way you fired those off is passionately like things that you've been observing. That's what's really interesting about you. I, I really wanted to have you on the show. I, I think you know, I, I kind of say like when you bring guests on the show, and this is kind of an interview hack, in my opinion, or or getting a guest hack is try not to just ask questions that people could go to Google and find out. Yeah. Try to get some sort of differentiation of this person's character. So with that being said, my next question, the straight brim hat, the high school guy that supposedly was a wallflower out of your mouth, um, not chilling with the jock, if we're doing the stereotypical thing. Right. Um, where, where did you cultivate your style, man? You're cool. You got the spacers, the big glasses, the hat. <laughs> and, and, and I said to my wife, you know, full disclosure, I said to my wife, I don't even like I was I'm 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 like I'm trying to figure out how old this guy is. Like I don't even know. You know, you you got this certain sageness about you, um, but very intentional. How how intentional is your style? Because when we talk about the uniform mentality, you know, the Steve Jobs and yeah. and Mark Zuckerberg and wearing the same shirts because they yeah. want to eliminate decision fatigue and all that. Yeah. How did Chris Dole get his uniform? Because I see your uniform is very intentional. 
Yes. Okay. Thank you for asking that question. I think both Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg stole the idea from Einstein. I don't know what he stole it from. It's like, this is the last thing I need to do is think about what I'm going to wear. So they just wear the same thing, right? Yeah, got it. Okay, all right. Um, so first of all, I'm 50 years old because I, I have a son who's now in college. So just want to put that out there. And I am very intentional in how I come across, not only my tone of voice, but how I appear, my uniform. And this is very important to me. And I teach people this thing. First of all, for a shy, introverted person, socially awkward person such as myself, Wearing certain things allows me to invite other people to have a conversation with me. It's number one tip for you, for all of you nerds out there, you, my fellow introverts, where you at, right? Is, here's your <laughs> social go. hack. Mm. Wear one thing that is a statement piece. It doesn't need to be a giant fur coat. It could just mm. be brightly colored glasses I wear. It mm. could be a scarf. It could be a, an interesting hat or a T-shirt that's got an like a cool model or saying on it mm. and invites people to come in. It's like, oh, I love them. Or what does that mean? I've seen this before. I don't get it. Whatever it is, it could be a pair of sneakers. So you can look at shape, color, pattern, texture, something, just that one thing. And mm. and, and it, it allows people to, to have a conversation with you very organically because we're, we're looking to connect human to human. Mm. And sometimes when, when you don't open up, it's very hard for someone to find an entry point. Okay. So it is a strategy 100%. And, and now when I go and speak on stage, I tell people, I want to make content so good. I don't actually have to develop social skills because people <laughs> will just come up and talk to you. Yeah. 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 Like, hey, I saw your video on this, or I love this, or, Hey, I, I got a bone to pick with you. Perfect. Cause I want to have a conversation with you. I just don't know how to begin the dialogue. And I don't want to presume you want to talk to me. So when people do approach me up on the street or at a conference or in the hallway, it makes it so much easier. I'm, I'm actually really happy because I do like connecting with people. I just don't have the social skills, right? Mm. Um, so let's talk about the style now. Now, you you and I know if you're on YouTube, you basically have about this much real estate. I'm, I'm holding up my hand here in case people yep. can't see. Yep. Basically from my head down to like not even my full torso, like, yep. you know, rib cage up a little bit. That's all I've got to work with. And some people have amazing hair. I don't. Some people have like really interesting eyebrows or, or yep. face yep. structure, you know, something really yep. cool about you. And yep. I don't, pretty generic, relatively speaking. So how am I going to pop eyewear? Let's just start there. Mm. I want to pick some glasses that are funky. And, mm. you know, these are my new glasses. And mm -hmm. I went into the optical shop and said, give me the largest frame glasses that you have go, chris okay. you can't see, you would like these chris these are the tom ford too they're they're kind of similar nice. to yours they're not oh, as okay. thick but I, I i as soon as you you the the camera went on i seen your eye you're right your eyeglasses i was like oh i really like those yeah I, I'm, I'm digging right? those man and they got personality but continue yeah. sorry yeah so i'm like show me the largest frames that you have and and she brought them out i'm like no i'm bigger and she looks at me like, bigger? I'm like, yeah, like third world dictator bigger, like Kim Jong-un big? And she's like, oh, okay. So she gets me these pair. <laughs> and I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. And my wife is sitting next to me. She's like, uh, honey, uh, I don't know if this is going to work on you. I'm like, well, let me just try it. But I'm on. She goes, oh, they could work. And then, you know, you got to like own it. And mm. you have to command a certain amount of confidence for you to pull strange styles off. And I just wear them. And. And now people are like, oh, who love the new glasses? I'm getting a lot mm. of comments on it. So this is part of the brand. Like every year and a half, I'll switch the glasses because there's something mm. else going on. I did look for Tom Ford's 
they did not have the right models there, but I, I've seen Important. them online. So I got to go to the right Tom Ford shop. Now, as you're, you know, you got your uniform, you're, yes. you're, you're running your business, you're talking to people, being interviewed, get it, you know, interviewing. How important has your style um, been for just feeling good, you know, throughout your day, so to speak, like showing up, feeling, you know, let's be honest, man. I mean, I want to walk in, I want to feel fresh, I want to feel good. You know, it, 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 it comes down to what I learned playing football. You know, I'm sorry, even if you're the shittiest player on the team, at least look good. You know, like, and if now, if you can look good and be one of the best players, I mean, you're getting somewhere real good, right? There's kind of a trifecta, I call it, right? It's, could you be good with people, be very kind of tactical in kind of how you run your business, um, and then kind of approach it with this, I want to call it savage servantness, meaning nice guys for me, I, I nice guy for me is probably one of the, the characters that uh, scares me the most because I find nice guys in general, very passive aggressive, jumps to the next thing, somewhat not on their goals, where savage servant is somebody that stays on task, stays on goal, but can run in their house and let their kids put, you know, toothpaste all over their hair and totally, you know, still in touch with their emotion. But when it's time to literally be wartime general, these people step up when it's crazy, when everybody else is running. Would you say you're a nice guy or a savage servant based on my definition? I'm probably more the savage servant than I am a nice guy. Right. I'm, right? I'm the Terminator. I have a goal. I'm going to go do that. But I don't also want to be like a robot without a heart. And so there are moments mm. and, you know, there are things around my children that really that's when the the, the guard drops and it's like, I just need to be dad. And mm. I, I'm looking at this little human that I brought into the world and, and, and would gladly give up my life to save their lives without a shadow of a doubt, without hesitation. And so children change you they should you mm. should grow and you should be different and if you're not then you really need to check in with yourself as to why and so my children have made me become a better person and somebody described this to me before and i totally believe this um, when you have when you bring a child into the world it's you learning how to fall in love again for the first time Ooh, 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 yeah oh and the psychology behind uh having a child it's like if you can have a great relationship with your child. It's probably one of the best relationships you'll ever experience in your life. Hands down. I had a really great lady on, you know, her. I'll keep her, na I'll keep her nameless, but really respect her heavy hitter. She's doing the, you know, she's operating in the top 1% in the world. And uh, I said, you know, can you tell me a vulnerable question? Can you tell me something vulnerable, something you really suck at something you're weak so that our listeners can view you as a human being and know that you struggle through things as well. But she told me the answer and she says, you know, Ryan, I'm a mom and I'm a business person. She said, I would have to say every day I struggle with, I want to be the best mom and I want to also be the best businesswoman. And she's like, I still don't have it down. How have you as somebody that's, you know, you're, you're pushing out content and business and operating at such a high level uh, on business. And I, I, and I'm sorry, I think in business we can't, talk about business without also talking about personal because you're still a human being and you have a family how have you i don't want to use the word balanced but how have you coexisted your passions and goals for both business and family yeah i i think people look for work-life balance i don't <laughs> in that 
Me neither. I just don't believe me, in it. Me neither. I believe in work-life integration. And yes. you shouldn't be separate parts. Like you shouldn't go to work and say like, I'm not a family person because then you treat other people terribly. Like if you look at the the people who show up every day to support you, to make the business possible, like as part of your family, Simon Sinek talks about this. You, you can't mm. fire your children. And so when <laughs> someone falls at work, we should look at how we can support them to the mm. best that we can before we think like, you know, it's time for us to get a divorce here. Right. And, and I also think when you're at home, it's not like I'm just dad all the time. I'm, I'm actually have business thoughts. I have experience that I want to share with my children so that they can learn from it, uh, how to deal with difficult people. So it's like, I'm not trying to live a fractured life. I'm trying to live an integrated life. It's not always possible. And you definitely need to have a partner in your life that sees it the same way. I'll give you some examples, right? And then maybe we can dive into a little bit deeper. There was a period in time for about a year and a half where my youngest son, he was homeschooled. And so he got to travel with me and we got to see all, all parts of like Asia, parts of Europe. Ooh, and we went to New yeah. York together and he just got to see what it's like to be a working professional. I don't know if it has any kind of real impact on him in that moment because he's a little kid. He wants to play video games. He's on his laptop and he doesn't want to leave the hotel. But somewhere, I think down the line, 5, 10, 15 years from now, he'll look back and say, that's an example of one way to live. Now, I'll tell you mm. something. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a latchkey kid, right? I'm an, a kid of the 80s. And my mm. parents, dual income household, both worked. I never knew what my parents did. And I want to be able to bring that so it doesn't feel disconnected. There's a reason why we have a house and there's food on the table. And sometimes it looks like this in terms of how you go out and earn the money. I think a lot of times what and what uh, parents don't do is they don't they don't lead by example. They say, here's an ideal and I don't live up to that ideal, but you should strive for it because I can't. Mm. I think if, if you want to be the best parent, you show them by leading and then encourage them if this is a path they want to follow. Now they have a pretty good example to say, okay, that's one benchmark. I want to collect others, but at least now you have a reference point. And I, I want my children to know that. Kids are kids are brilliant. There, I seen a little video clip. It still resonates with me because it was it was so emotional. But um, basically, the guy is saying, "Your kids are brilliant, and they always know when mommy and daddy is not getting after their dreams." And he said, "You can frame it however you want, but they probably even know mommy and daddy might be losers." <laughs> and I'm just like. You know, if, if if that's not sobering as a, as kind of an example that you want to lead for your kids, I mean, I take that personal where it's it's like, no, no, you you gotta lead by example. Your kids, I mean, this is great, man. They're they're seeing all kinds of stuff. Let me ask you this: Is there anything geeky you did with your kids that young, old that you're just like, they're just like, dad, like stop. Like, I get it. I know you're passionate about this. I know you care about that italic font. I could care less. Is there anything that you're like? Okay, Chris, just chill out. You might like this a little more than them. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. There's tons of things. I, I think it's like a dull existence in life if you're not really fired up about some things. You, everybody needs something they can pour their heart into. Uh, yes. I have too many hobbies to name, too many interests. Like, I'm really into comics. They're not. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm really into video games with different kinds of games. And now my youngest is starting to play. So we have more in common there, but it's not that I'm trying to get my kids to love my hobbies. I live a fulfilled life 
and I have many passions and hobbies, and I just want to let my kids know that it's okay for you to be a 50-year-old man and geek out over the next issue of Spider-Man or Berserker <laughs> or something like that, right? It's okay. So they'll see me go to the comic shop, like, there goes dad. Um, but luckily, <laughs> my youngest, he does share some of that. Like, I'm a collector, too. I, like, collect toys, and I'm like, what is Ooh. all this junk? I'm like, how Ooh. dare you call that junk? <laughs> the limited edition, man. Right. You know how yeah. long I had to wait in line to get this? Yeah. My son and I collect Hot Wheels, and it's something I actually still, like, I'm actually pretty obsessed over Hot Wheels. I don't think it's something that will ever leave my soul. And I don't want it to. It yeah. kind of brings me back to the childlike. Um, ideas. You are an idea, man. I mean, that this is one word I just think. Chris Doe, pocket full of dough idea and then execution on idea most people live in idea never go to the execution part of an idea i want real world like you got an idea you're playing games with your child hell maybe you're just getting into the shower maybe you're in the shower and you got these ideas how do you how do you get that idea out and be like okay i gotta document this idea so i don't forget it like how do you not get let's call it like idea fatigue how do you prevent yourself from getting overwhelmed because you got so many ideas? Is there notes in your phone? Is there certain rituals that you do? Like, is there any hacks that you can give our listeners that are like, you got an idea, do this? I I think one day, somebody mentioned to me, this is uh, something that's a real product where you have a whiteboard in the shower. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a real product. I think so, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I'm not sure I'm ready to go that deep yet because you talk about levels of nerdum, that would just be next level, right? I've seen this too in in certain tech companies in Silicon Valley. The elevator, instead of having a pattern or like a veneer, wood veneer, they have whiteboards and markers so that if you have an idea and it struts you on your way up or down, you can write it and then preserve it. And I think this is very important. So there's a couple of things that I do. One is my wife knows this too. Like sometimes it looks like I'm not there. And that's not a time to talk to me. And I'll just give her a wave like, please, mm. I'm, I'm processing something. Because oftentimes I'll think of some thoughts, so a way to phrase something, a framework or what I need mm. to write for my next talk. Mm. And so she'll see me. It's kind of like a living zombie, you know, some kind of catatonic <laughs> thing. So I'll walk around and I'm like, I'm looking for my notepad, which I keep many notepads around the house. I jot things down. I'm kind of an analog person. I don't love mm. jumping on the phone. Because, you know, once you touch your phone, what happens is uh, you get notified for things Mm. and then you get distracted. And I'm like, wait, why am I here again? Oh, shoot. I was trying to jot down these ideas. Notebook, there's no notifications there. You're pretty safe, right? Yeah. So that's why I love notebooks and I'm just going to write in my notebook. But there's also that kind of uh, hand memory thing. Like when you write, Mm. there's a letter and it maps your mind differently than pushing things. Mm which has mm. no, no, no motor function there. That's True. kind of an important thing too. And mm. so that's what I'll do. Now, idea fatigue, I, I, don't, I don't consider it such a thing. There's just priorities. And so what I'll do is I'll jot down lots of ideas. And later on, I'm like, are those ideas important or do they just <laughs> yep. live in the notebook? And if it's something important, then I'll try to take action on it right away. Marshal the team. Hey, everybody, I've been thinking about this. I want to see this thing get done. Put this on a high priority list. Let's knock this thing out. Uh, but otherwise, I just tell my wife, I have tons and tons of notebooks. If if I were to die, take the notebooks, give them to somebody really smart, sell it to them, let them make it into something because there's a lot that's in there. Mm, love that. Somebody wakes up in the morning. They say, Chris, today's the day I want to become an, a creative outlaw and value assassin. 
Okay, now I got zero followers. I'm thinking about getting on the TubeUbe or whatever we want to call it, the talk tick. Listen, I'm getting my my teeth, you know, into this stuff. And Chris, I got to tell you, by the time noon hit, I got slapped in the mouth and I quit because it seemed really overwhelming to me. So bang for my buck. I'm kind of brokeish. It's just me. You know, I know you preach YouTube life, lifetime value of content, et cetera, et cetera. Where would you tell me if I was at a McDonald's and I'm saying, okay, I want to order one, which the combos got YouTube and TikTok or YouTube and Instagram, which combo would you tell me, yo, try to, try to, try to get some momentum and be consistent on these first and then see what other extras you can get down the road. Okay. I'm going to give you two tactics. Okay. Please. The first one's going to be called the big, small. And the second one's going to be called the small, big, the big, Ooh. small works something like this. What I would recommend people do is with making a minimal investment in hardware and software, you can actually go and interview someone. And if this is your jam, you'd like to have conversations with people. If you're a good listener, if you're a good researcher and writer, do this. And what you want to do is do what you and I are doing, Ryan, which is a video recording of an audio product, because then you have Mm. more options to create content from. Mm. This will become your master content. You interview somebody for half an hour, an hour and a half, whatever, however long the conversation takes, this becomes your master content, and you can serve this up many ways. You can serve this as an audio-only experience. That's called a mm-hmm. podcast. You do video and audio. That's called a YouTube video. And mm-hmm. you can cut them down to medium-length videos under 10 minutes. And something that's under a minute would be considered a short, a reel, or a TikTok. Mm. You can also transcribe the, the entire thing and write long-form blog posts with minimal amounts of editing. And so you have rich SEO keyword uh, web pages mm. that then link mm. to your other forms, like your video for YouTube, your podcasts on your iTunes or Spotify, whatever. And and that's one way to create content at scale and be omni-channel and to create the illusion that you're omnipresent. If there's a nugget, a quote, uh, some kind of valuable gem, put that out on Twitter. If that works really well, make a graphic out of that. And so now you're, you've got infographics, you've got written word, audio, and video. So that's the big small. Mm. The small big is maybe I don't have a lot of time and I just want to throw out ideas to you, into the universe and see what sticks. For that reason, I love Twitter. And mm. I love Twitter because the expectations of quality is very low. And, and Twitter, <laughs> yeah. according to the social media course that I took, is the highest percentage of user-generated content of any social platform. Mm, because yeah. they count every tweet as a piece of user-generated content. And mm. the beautiful part of Twitter is you can put out a lot of thoughts, and if you don't phrase it correctly and you don't like the way it came out, you can rephrase it in three hours and no one's going to get mad at you. You just keep doing it until you find a way of saying something that people will then all of a sudden sit up straight and say, whoa, what's going on here? The mm. other benefit of creating on Twitter is you have co-creation. Because mm. luckily for me, I have some really smart fired up individuals so when i write something on twitter they're like well chris you mean to quote this person or this person originated the idea or here's something better than what you wrote and so now i'm i've got like multiple ideas stacked on this and i can Mm. refine the thinking so Mm. i'll grab the best and the worst parts i'll go and formulate a new thought and i'll turn that into an article on linkedin this is Mm. the small big making a small piece of content like a snowflake turn into an avalanche you just keep taking that you scale it up So if I write the LinkedIn article and it's like, oh, this is popping right now. Well, let me go make a carousel out of that Mm. for Instagram. So now I'll turn it into graphics, edit the words down. I have enough meat on the bones, if you will. 
And as I produce that, I'll turn that back into a PDF and upload that as a document on LinkedIn. So we're not talking about just going from one platform to the other. We can actually go back to the same platform and present it differently. Now it's visual, it's graphic, and can incorporate illustrations and videos. So if one of these carousels works really well, I might take that and make that the foundation of a whiteboard series that I'm going to film for YouTube as a live training session using the foundational parts of my carousel as a guideline as to what works and what doesn't. And so now I've got a long form video where it could last anywhere between 45 minutes, an hour of me explaining mm. simple ideas and going deep with examples and answering questions. And guess what? We begin the process all over again because that 45 minute to an hour long video becomes your big that you can then chop up to be a small. Mm. And I've done this multiple times. It goes up and down, big and small, small to big. Mm. It's, it's some of the content that you guys put out that I that got me hooked this a long time ago was your whiteboard sessions. There was some, and and it's still, and you, you know, you talk about a lot, but you made a point. You're like, you know, talking head is great, you know, but the white, like the whiteboard is giving you texture in your video a bit. And even me as a, somebody who creates content, I, I'm always looking for things that, okay, great. I got my backdrop the way I like it and whatnot. But sometimes I'm like, geez, it's like uh, you're, you feel this confinement. It's a little confinement on it where I'm like, I'm going to go outside and just do a video there, <laughs> turn the phone around and do a video there. Just something where it's broadening your horizons a bit. You've done how many, how many interviews do you think you've done in your, in your, in your career? If you could just take a stab at it, like between X and X. I would say probably at least 200 interviews. Out of those 200 interviews, what, give me one thing that you notice you just love and one thing you absolutely despise? Well, it's not so much on me, I think. Mm. I, I love it when I, I am fortunate enough to talk to someone who knows what they're thinking, can articulate it, have examples mm. and stories. Mm. They have, they've mastered something. Like you said, they're surgeons. Uh, they're, mm. they're, they know something really well so that I get to geek out and be a fan and just listen and ask more and more questions ask it on my behalf, but also ask on the behalf of everyone that's listening and tuning in. Mm. Uh, I, I also don't love it when I interview someone and they don't know how to tell a story. They're still finding their words and it just becomes dreadful for me. I get through it, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, what a waste of time. I'm falling asleep here. You know, so <laughs> you need to know what you're doing and you need to be able to say in a way that captivates people. Oh man. I love that. Uh, our time is coming to an end here, Chris. Listen, um, is there anything that people really don't know about you? It's not, this is not meant to be a lazy question, by the way, but it's kind of a sincere question because it comes from a good place. Because sometimes, you know, you do your homework on people and you research people and you're thinking, is there anything that they're not putting out? You know, is there anything that people miss or overstep, like misstep and don't really, you know, get to that? Is there anything about Chris Doe that people don't know? I'm not sure. I, I, I try my best, Ryan, and thanks for asking that question. Mm. I try my best to be as transparent as possible, mm. but there's always context. And I don't want to make the assumption that everybody knows everything because they followed every crumb mm. to lead them here. So I'll just tell you a couple of things. These are like shorthand things that people will be able to remember and perhaps spark something within them. I, I describe people, I, I describe myself as a loud introvert. I'm a middle child, a first-generation refugee. English is my second language. Mm. I'm an A-minus student, but a first-class troublemaker, and I'm a serial <laughs> entrepreneur. Take that for Ooh. what it's worth. Those are all the parts that are me, and I, I think I have a high level of self-awareness, so 
and, and a, a desire to be super transparent. So if you ever see me, if you ever interview me, go ahead and ask whatever you want and I'll do my best to tell you. If I think it's relevant, I'm going to I'm gonna do my best. Yay. You just reminded me to do something. I'm transparent in my interviews. You, okay, I get this question all the time. If you interview notable people, it's kind of like real world experience. Prior, let's assume... Let's assume in high school, you know, you're single and you're like, oh, my God, there's that person. I got a crush on them. OK, well, we don't want to just go over to the person and be like, oh, my God, I got a crush on you and stalk them because that's going to be weird. It's going to be terrible. It's never going to go well. But, you know, you figure out a way you do your homework. You see this, you know, drop the book, which is equivalent of maybe they got a problem that you think you can solve. And you're like, hey, you're on a book tour. You get what I'm saying, right? So you're like, ah, I'd love you to come on. Oh, right. I'd love to come on. OK, you get the person. Now, you know, after doing all these interviews, some people you just vibe with off the top. Like you just got complete chemistry. Others, you're like, this was terrible. Yeah. Well, I oh, I almost wish I didn't interview the person just so that I still like their content because subliminally something's shooting I, up I at see me. What you mean. <laughs> now, what would you say is the best way to create relationships with people after? Because you hear all these, you, you, and you hear from a lot of people's mouths, interview people, cultivate relationships with them, you know, da, 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 da. And this is how you, you know, use these, some of these guesses, you know, getting clients and all this stuff. And you hear all kinds of crap out there. What is your opinion on really cultivating relationships with people that are larger in stature uh, at their career or their business than you? How do we, how do we do that? Should we do that? Or should we be cool about it? What's your take on that? Good question. <clears throat> I don't think you should feel obligated to follow up with someone if you didn't have a connection, obviously, because it's going to make for a very artificial conversation. Mm. I also think that sometimes what people have to give you is what they gave you for that time in which you interviewed them and they're not looking for a new best friend. Mm. But there's every once in a while where it's mutually expressed, where you enjoy your each other's company and the, the podcast, the interview was a reason for you to come together. Yes. And it's really neat when that happens and we exchange yes. information and we're texting each other from time to time. Like we're <laughs> like middle school kids, you know, and it's kind of fun. Like, Hey, what are you doing? It's like, you want to spend the night at my house, Billy? You know, what comic book are you reading? Are you, are you watching this UFC fight? And those are really <laughs> fun for me. So I like, like you asked and I said, I've probably interviewed over 200 people. Mm. I would put in that list, maybe under, under two dozen where I'm mm. actually continuing a conversation relationship, but just because we hit it off and we're like in a different life, in a different world, we probably would have hung out and had tea, drink, beer, you know, whatever yeah. it is, we hang out. And it's really cool when that happens. And it's a sign of mutual mm. respect, right? And mm. here's the other thing I would say, if you're a really big fan of somebody, you have, that's your content crush that you're talking to. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling that person how you feel. And, and sometimes <laughs> I've played it real cool and yeah. I've regretted it. And, oh, and I've regretted it. I'll tell you. Okay. Thank you for being lesson. honest about this, Chris. Thank you for being transparent, man. I'm telling you, man, that's fist bump for me, man. This is, this is gold. Everybody needs to listen to this. Right. Like if I, I'm like, uh, I'm super giddy right now and I might scream like a girl uh, because <laughs> I've read through your books and I think I know everything that there is to know about you, but I'm going to pretend like I don't because I just want to learn from you right now. I would just say it. I've been a big fan. I've watched this movie that you're in. Whatever it is, I just want to say because mm. that also allows me to relax mm. because here's what happens. I think what's happening inside my brain is if I pretend like I don't know them 
I'm now having two conversations, the one with the person and the one with myself. And it can't <laughs> be fully present. And this is really difficult. And I found that if I just say it out loud, like, oh my God, I watched you uh, do this, this and that. And I'm, I'm just mesmerized by how you can do X. Mm. All of a sudden, first of all, that's appreciation. It's genuine. And the other person's mm. like, oh, that's nice because I was not having a good day today. I've, I've read some mean comments and I've got a bad mm. review in my last book, movie or whatever. And this is the pick me up. Right. Mm. And also they're like, I wonder if this kid likes me or not, or if this, this person even knows who I am. And just to be able to say that puts you at ease. It puts the other person at ease. And now we can talk. So here's the story. Mm. Sugar Ray Leonard, boxing legend, gold medalist, one of the best pound for pound fighters in all of boxing history. Mm -hmm. We're going to meet him for a project at my office with another team Ooh. who's, who's done the introduction. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to say this, right? So, Sugar Ray Leonard comes in, introduces, he's very charismatic, of course, he shakes everybody's mm. hands. And I said, um, first of all, how do I address you? Is it Sugar? Is it Mr. Leonard? Is it Ray <laughs> Leonard? Is it Sugar Ray Leonard? How do I do this? And I know he's been asked this a gazillion times. So he says, Chris, I've been married for 30 years, whatever he said, I can't get my wife to call me uh, Sugar, so just call me Ray. And we all laugh. And I was like, okay, ice has been broken. I said, here's the second thing. You know, while growing up, I didn't have a lot of time with my daddy worked all the time. And the one thing that we connected on was around boxing. And oh, he just told me how man. great you were. And we would watch you sometimes pirated. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> and watch you and like, it's, it's just like seeing art and poetry in motion. And so mm. if I do say things that just the fanboy jumps out, please be aware. And you know what? That was super cool. Because by the end of our meeting, we walk outside to the hallway and, and, and we take a picture together. And he doesn't just take a normal selfie with me. He does a face-off where Ray's face and nose is touching my nose. Ooh. And I think I credit it to the fact that I was being a real person, telling him how I feel, but also not just being a fan. Because during the meeting, I asked good questions. I gave insight where it was necessary and I didn't speak too much. So for a period of time, for about two years, Sugar Ray Leonard was texting me, how's your Thanksgiving going, Chris? I've been thinking about you. What the heck? And I'm still in contact with his son, Ray Leonard Jr., and it's mm -hmm. been a wonderful thing. So I put that out there for all of you. Stop fronting. Stop pretending. Uh, say what you, whatever it is that you think. And so the other person knows you're a genuine fan, fan or, or friend at least. Nike's former CMO, Greg Hoffman, was on our show, and I'll end it off by saying this. He said, stop chasing cool because you'll never catch it. He's like, the whole idea about being iconic is to create the trend, not follow the trend, hands down. And I think people are so consumed with being cool that they miss out on some of the most, a beautiful, most beautiful experiences that life has to offer. That's why I think vulnerability is great. I like asking these kind of questions because I would have never got this answer if I didn't ask the question. All right. Last last question, man. I asked all my guests this question. What could I do for you, Chris Doe? And yes, I will. I'm going to plug your stuff and all that. But what can I do for you, the Chris Doe pocket full of dough, man? You know what? I've really enjoyed the conversation. I just, if you can share this, if you can tell a friend, I'm saying this less of you and I'm asking the audience here. Mm. Uh, like I aspire to create the most influence and impact that I can in the world. I'm trying to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And if you listen to this, if you got value, tell one other person. That's as much as I can ask of anybody.
We're so glad you enjoyed this episode of the Ryan Holt Show podcast. Please don't forget to smash that five-star review as Team Holtz will love you for it. Also, say hi to Ryan anywhere on social media using the handle at RyanHoltz1. That's R-Y-A-N-H-O-L-T-Z, the number one. And if you or your business is looking to expand your brand, book a brand jam with Ryan using the link in the show notes. 